It's Thursday, January 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio. The one and only Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got some retail news. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Costco. Same store sales for Costco in December up 9%. That is two percentage points higher than Wall Street was expecting. And no surprise, shares of Costco up a little bit today. I mean, that's a nice start to the fiscal quarter. Definitely. So the net sales for December were actually $17 billion. And that's actually up 10.5% over last year's results. So really fantastic quarter for them. And I don't, you know, we talk all the time about when it comes to retail, the holiday season is so important. I don't think of Costco, I think of Costco as just like a year round retailer. I don't think of. Christmas gifts. Yeah, I don't think, even though I know they have that, but I don't think in terms of, boy, they better nail it in December, but they did. Yeah, I mean, I think the standout here was really the e commerce segment. So that was up about 43% in the past five weeks. Um, notably, 20 percentage points of that was attributable to Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So that's your big technology purchases. So your computers, your TVs, things like that, which um, I think those come. At opportunistic moments for people, or those purchases do. And so when you see big sales, you can expect that Costco is going to be taking part in that. So shares of Costco are basically $300 a pop. And I'm curious if you think this is an expensive stock, because certainly on the surface, even investing as long as I have been investing, if I see triple digits in a stock price, my gut reaction is always like, "Ooh, boy, what you know? Is this an expensive stock, or does this still have room to run here?" To begin with, I never actually think about stock prices on a um, per share price. So you want to look at market cap instead. So um, just because market cap represents the entire size of the company, and a share price represents a slice, so depending on how you slice the pizza, it could be greater. Less than, but it doesn't actually signify anything specifically for the company. So, um, Costco is a $132 billion company, which is very large. But I think when you look at their retail dominance and their everlasting staying power, I think they strategically are very well aligned for the future. You're thinking about the stock price in a much smarter way than I am. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, shares down nearly 20% today. Uh, third quarter results for Bed Bath and Beyond were bad. And very bad. <laughs> you know what? Let's go into the results first because the, the the guidance, the move, what they did with the guidance is the thing that I find a little surprising. But w- tell me about the quarter. Um, so they achieved sales of two point eight billion dollars, which was an eight point three percent comp sales decline, which is just <laughs> tragic. And especially when you consider the sort of downward trend that they've been on, it's just not what you want to see here. So. Bed Bath and Beyond withdrew guidance for the remainder of the fiscal year, which is never a good sign. Never there's good sign. Ne- there's never been a time when a company says, "We think this is going to be so amazing. We just want to surprise everyone at the end of the." It's fiscal always going to be a negative surprise, so they just took it off the table in general. Yeah. It seems like just the latest power move by Mark Tritton, who's been CEO since the beginning of November, so he hasn't even been running the company for this entire quarter. Um, I don't know. It, it 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 seems like it's very much his company, even though he just got there, because he he was the one clearly who pulled the guidance for the rest of the year, and he was very blunt about 
how dissatisfied he was with these results. Yeah, his opening statement was, let me be clear, these results are unsatisfactory. And then he continues, I think it's very clear that he's not happy. I do think um, his strategy and his sort of clean sweep and new approach bottoms up. You know, they did this whole um, deep market research into Bed Bath & Beyond that they talked about a lot in the quarter. So, they're really starting from ground zero here. And I think if there was ever a time to do it, now is the time. He's new. He has things to prove. Um, the company is already on a downward trajectory, so it's time to sort of hopefully get it moving back in the right direction. So I actually think his negativity was um, reassuring and a little bit positive for this company. Absolutely, and I'm not a shareholder, but this is the most interesting this company has been in a long time. Right. And even with this drop today, it's still. Up roughly 80% from the low it hit last summer. And I was going to talk about the stock price, but given what you said about Costco, let's talk about the market cap. I mean, Bed Bath and Beyond is just a $1.7 billion company. Is it crazy to think that if Mark Tritton gets his way and implements the changes that he wants to see, is it crazy to think that this thing could double in the next year and a half, two years? I mean, we're just talking about 1.7 to 3.4 billion. Right. I don't actually think that would be insane. I think you would need to see a lot of positive momentum for that to happen, though. So, so um, you're not looking at today because there will absolutely be people today, and I'm one of them who looked at it and thought, "Boy, 20 percent. I kind of think I believe in this CEO. Maybe I should buy some shares because they're 20 percent cheaper." But it sounds like you're saying, "Not yet. Hold, like pump the brakes before you just jump in and buy today." Yeah, I mean, for the positive side, I would say the things that they do have going for them, they're number one in brand awareness for housewares and home goods and a pretty strong leader in bedding and bath. Um, generally, people have a favorable impression of this brand. So, 79% of customers um, report feeling positively. And they're starting to acknowledge really big, significant strategic downfalls that they have. So, there's a lack of clarity around purpose and value. Um, they talk about a softer connection with millennials and Generation Z. And the fact that their entire digital footprint is really lacking. So, I think admitting a problem is the first step to correcting it. And so, I think um, that is positive for this quarter for them. We are admitting the problems. I just don't know that I, you know, they have pillars, but there's no tangible steps taken yet. And I'm not quite sure what those look like. So, even if, you know, maybe it'll happen slower than analysts want, but I would just wait to see exactly what that plan is. Because I think the other, thing to think about with Bed Bath & Beyond is they actually own a variety of brands within Bed Bath & Beyond. So, they own um, World Plus Cost, World Market Cost Plus, I think is the full name, but World Market is what people call it. And then, um, the Christmas Tree Shop and a variety of others. And I think there's just sort of some cleaning out that needs to be done. <laughs> like Those are giant sales footprints and just generally um, not very differentiated from competitors. So, I think there's a lot to be done here before we can say, this looks like a bargain. Yeah, if anyone involved in those other brands, and thank you for reminding me, because I always forget that about Bed Bath & Beyond, that they do actually have these other brand concepts. If anyone at those locations or management of those businesses, uh, let's just remove all doubt that absolutely everything is on the table with Mark Tritton. Right. And so, to your point, it, should not shock anyone if part of the change he wants to implement is just slimming down and shedding some of these brands. Right. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Brandon Dobbs in Virginia. 
Brandon writes, my question is about the role a feeling should play in investing. Specifically, I'm wondering about your thoughts on investing in a company like Virgin Galactic. As an amateur, I'm looking at the stock thinking it's bound to go way up, and I'm wondering why it wouldn't be a good idea to buy into a company like this at the beginning, while the stock price is low if you can afford to take the risk, as the rewards could be astronomical, no pun intended." You know what? It's a great question, but I think Brandon's pun actually was intended there. I mean, we're talking about a space company. Virgin Galactic, which was spun out of Virgin Group last year, and I'm not saying there's not a bull case to be made, but I think right out of the gate, the fact that through the first nine months of 2019, Virgin Galactic had very little in the way of revenue and lost somewhere in the neighborhood of $140 million. It's like, okay, well, we'd like to see some more people actually paying for space tourism, probably. <laughs> Do you... It's funny that you take. I was not expecting you to have that perception of this company, actually. Really? Yeah, no. I feel very positively about Virgin Galactic, actually. I think it's so they are the first publicly traded human spaceflight company that is there. Deal. Um, it was founded by Richard Branson in 2004, but their current CEO is George Whitesides, who previously served as their chief of staff for NASA. So I think there's a lot of um, very intelligent, smart people behind this initiative. And I kind of, I'm scared to make this comparison because I know it's going to get torn apart. But I do think with this company, you're seeing a little bit of like. Here we go. A Tesla sort of comparison. You know, before Tesla was really um, had cars on the ground and things going. You know, they talked a lot about commitments and um, accepting deposits before the cars were going out. And there was a lot of questions about feasibility and is it possible? Is it even um, could it ever happen? And I think with Virgin, we're still in that sort of very very early sort of Tesla phase of a company. So. Um, there is a demonstrated demand here. They sell 90-minute spaceflight plus training for about $250,000 a person. Out of 65% profit margin and five passengers per flight, we're looking at about $800,000 in profit per flight. Um, and they do have over 600 reservations booked. So they've collected $80 million in deposits. So this is all notable because it's Generally speaking, there is some sort of demand here. But I think going back to the question about should you invest in a feeling, um, at this point, this is such a na nascent market and we're so early in space tourism that there's really no way to say what that market looks like. So this person's really no better or worse off than anybody else who happens to be buying shares of it. And I think he's thinking about it correctly when he says, if you can afford to take the risk. So it's just, it's really not about, um, Knowing exactly where this company is going because that's physically impossible at this point, but just making sure that you moderate your risk to match your portfolio. So, if you are going to take an investment in something like Virgin Galactic, I would recommend a very, very small position size relative to your overall portfolio. I absolutely agree with all of that. And I think that, um, particularly um, the younger you are, not to say that right. people my age and older shouldn't have a little. Part of their portfolio um, allocated towards. Ah, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna run with this, and maybe it pans out, and maybe it doesn't. Um, I just think that the. <laughs> and I hear. I, I. I don't think your Tesla comparison is a crazy one. I'm. I'm so I'm not gonna. It's I'm, not that I think it's crazy. I think 
that's going to either make a lot of bulls and a lot of bears, and it's going to leave no one neutral in this room. So, apologies. Well, it's just or you're welcome. It's depending just, who's listening. You know what? It's it's just you and me in this room. So I I, <laughs> right. I I would simply say that the total addressable market is smaller than it than Tesla's total addressable market because. Um, not everybody has a quarter million dollars burning a hole in their pocket, and even the people who do, then you're looking at okay, raise your hand if you want to spend that money on going to space, and you know that's I mean, I don't I know. Mean, I feel like if I if I, if I had that kind of money, that's not how you'd spend it. I don't think that. Yeah, I wouldn't I spend think, it that way. Though the thing to remember is that space tourism becoming a viable sort of vacation option for people is really one of multiple revenue streams that they could potentially tap. I think they could also sell to academic institutions who want to conduct research. Um, they manufacture their own parts, so they could become a space part supplier. And space travel could eventually, in the very, very long term, replace long haul airplane flights. So, I think there is optionality here, maybe a little bit more than people are initially giving them credit for. With that being said, again, very young stage, very early, very speculative at this point, I would call it, but um, certainly interesting. Would you do this? Take a flight to space? Yes. Absolutely. You would? Yeah, why would you not? That's insane. <laughs> I also have my scuba license, though, so I'm not like for the faint of heart. No, no, I, I, you've never struck me as someone who's uh, faint of heart. I just, and and maybe I'm focusing on the wrong here, uh, wrong thing here. But the whole, um, and you're going to go up. Do, do they take five people at a time or five other people? So is it six people go up at a time or five go up at a time? Five passengers. Do I get to choose the other four? Because that's that's going to matter to me. Unclear. I'm not sure about that. Would you go if you didn't get to choose the other four? Yeah, because only a certain kind of person is going to elect <laughs> to put themselves in this situation, and I want to meet all of them. We'll end there. Abby Mallon, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. If that's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery, the show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.